All right, well, open your Bibles to Exodus 33. And we'll read that. Now, next next Friday, is a, is a we're doing Exodus, Exodus 34. That is one of the most important chapters of this book, if not the most important chapter. So, so remember, you, next Friday, you really want to uh, uh, really come and, 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 and study Exodus 34. But today, we'll be uh, looking at the setup for that. And that's Exodus 33. Who wants to who wants to volunteer to read verses 1 through 11? I'll do that. Okay. And uh, who wants to read verses 12 through 23? I can do that. All right. All right. Great. Thank you. Jim, you can, you can get started. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised when I wrote to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Pesarites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people, and I like to store you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. No one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will dedicate what you do, what to do with you. So the Israelites slipped off all their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the camp, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses, with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Okay, verse 12. Then Moses said to Yahweh, if you say to me, bring up the, his people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So now I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. See also that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Indeed, how can how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. 
Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in a cleft of rock, and cover you with my hand, until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Alright, so, if you... My way of review, the book of Exodus, in a nutshell, is about the name of Yahweh. It's about the, the revelation of the name of Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? What is Yahweh? What does that name signify about the, the only true God of the universe? And so in the book of Exodus, this is where a God, he, he pulls back the curtains, and for the first time... God introduces his name to the world, right? He takes the world stage. He introduces himself to the world's uh, first uh, a superstar, superpower, historically, Egypt. And when you do that, when you, when you kind of introduce yourself to Egypt, by implication, you're introducing, introducing yourself to the entire uh, world because all eyes are on Egypt. Uh, I grew up in Korea in, in high school. And uh, whenever there was an election, uh, it, it was always on the news. Uh, you knew who won the election of the most powerful nation in the world. Do you guys know who won the, 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 the election of Korea's presidency? No, you don't. Nobody cares. But in Korea, everybody knows. Everybody in the world, for that matter, knows what happens in America. And in the same way, uh, no other nation could have enslaved Israel because no other nation beside Egypt had the type of international international exposure that Egypt had. Egypt was the perfect perfect choice to showcase globally and internationally the glory, the majesty, and the power of the name of Yahweh. And remember how it started. Uh, uh, Moses came to Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Let us go to worship God. And what's Pharaoh's first response? Who's Yahweh? I've never heard of that name. And so Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus is the book where God reveals his name. Um, but all that God has done so far to, his, to reveal his name to Egypt, to reveal his name to the world, has been assaulted in chapter 32 last chapter we were in. When Moses goes up to the Mount Sinai, the people say, where's Moses? And they and the people uh, uh, convince Aaron to make them a golden calf. And here they replace the name of Yahweh with the golden calf. This leads to uh, 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 this carousing, sexual immorality, uh, their sin. So all that's come before this, from chapter 1 to 31, is being attacked head-on by God's own people. And so the only outcome that you can have 
is the outcome we saw at the end of chapter 32, where God kills his people, right? There's death. That's what we saw at the end of chapter 32. Sinners must die. And, and we knew that was coming. Israel should have known it. Just go to Exodus 19, and that's when this is right before uh, uh, Israel receives the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And um, they learn the, the they, they learn about the, uh, the, the Mount Sinai and the reputation of Mount Sinai and the reputation of, uh, of the law. And look at chapter 19, verse 16. They're at the foot of the mountain. It happened on the third day when it was morning, and there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet, trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp, what? They trembled. Verse 18. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because Yahweh descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Right? Um, uh, before they received the law, God establishes in chapter 19, before they see, receive the law in chapter 20, uh, all the way to chapter 30, he establishes accountability. This is He establishes accountability. The, if you break the law I'm about to give you, there's going to be death. There's going to be trouble. And uh, so by the time we get to chapter 32 and the worship of this golden calf, uh, you know what's coming. There has to be death. And we, 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 we see where uh, we are given uh, just this reaffirmation of the purpose of the law, right? The purpose, one of the purposes of the law was to highlight sin, to reveal sin. And we see that confirmed in chapter 32, right? Chapter 20 to 31, the giving of the law. And then in chapter 32, the, the, the purpose of the law, which is to reveal our sin. But the law, while it reveals Israel's sinfulness, it also points to a solution. And the solution it pointed to in chapter 32 was the solution of a mediator, right? The law reveals our sin, number one purpose. Number two purpose, the law points to salvation. It points to the way of salvation. And what is salvation? We need a mediator. We need a mediator. And that's what Moses does in chapter 32. Uh, look what he says in uh, chapter 32, verse 32. Uh, but Moses is talking to God, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of from your book, which you have written, right? That's what a mediator does. He dies for the sins of his people. I'll stand in their place. If you forgive them, you can kill me instead, right? So in chapter 32, God is building this theology of, of a mediator, right? Mediator, mediators have to die for the sins of their people if, if, if God's people want to be forgiven. But see, the problem is, is that what? Yes, God says, yes, Moses, you get it. You understand the theology of what a mediator is. Uh, we're building that framework now in Exodus. But you know what? This is a problem. You're not that mediator. Because, look at verse uh, 33, Moses said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. You're a sinner, Moses. You can't be the mediator. Because I would have to blot you out. Once, if you sin, you're disqualified for, you're disqualified from being the mediator of 
other people's sins. So, we, chapter 32, uh, it reveals our, the law reveals our sin, but the law also points to a solution of a mediator. This person is coming. Now, in chapter 3, we learn more about this penalty for Israel's uh, idolatrous worship of a golden calf, and we also, uh, God further establishes this framework and this theology of, of, of a mediator. So we go to chapter 33, verse 1, and he says, Okay, uh, yeah, uh, Moses, uh, go, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to your seed, I will give it. Uh, God says, I'm going to keep my promise. I made a promise to Abraham and his progeny that Israel belongs in the land of Cana, not in Sinai. Uh, I made that promise. I'm going to keep that promise. Verse 2, I will send an angel before you. I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hiv Hivite, uh, the, the, the Jebusite. Uh, verse 3, uh, but, but here's what I didn't promise. This is what I, I never promised. Verse 3. Go to a land flowing with milk and honey, I promise that. For I will not go up in your midst because you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you on the main. I, I never promised I'd be with you the whole time. So I, this is what I'll, this is the deal. You can have the blessing of the promise, but you can't have me. You can't have me with this. And this teaches us, teaches us what? That yes, God uh, forgives our sin and he gives us eternal life. But he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to give himself with those blessings. That's, that's a bonus for us. He could forgive us. He could give us eternal life. He could bring us into heaven. But he didn't have to give us a relationship with him. Right? Uh, we can have the blessings of God without having, having God. But God doesn't do that in our salvation. He gives us the best part of salvation. He gives us himself, right? That a relationship with our God through Christ, that's the best part of salvation. That's the best part of grace. And this is God's test to Moses. Moses, do you know that? Do you know that the best part of salvation is having a relationship with me? See, this is a test. Does Moses know what is the essence of salvation. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, we get eternal life. Yes, we go to heaven. But Moses, do you know what the best part of salvation is? Does Moses know? <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, uh, verse 4. Uh, then the people heard this sad word and went into mourning, and none of them uh, put on his ornaments. Uh, 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 the, the ornaments were, uh, when you took off your ornaments, that was kind of an ancient way of expressing mourning. Like when you go to a funeral, you usually wear all black. And so this is, they took off their ornaments in sorrow, this corporate sorrow. Um, and, uh, you know, the verses 4 through 6 uh, just emphasizes this, this, this their, their realization that, you know what, uh, it doesn't matter 
uh, if we receive the blessings of the promise, uh, it doesn't matter if, 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 if we get all that, but we don't have the God who gives us those blessings, right? You, you sometimes think, you know what? It'd be nice to receive all the blessings of God. It, 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 you know, I think Jonathan Edwards, he kind of posed the question, um, if you could uh, uh, have a deal where you could live uh, forever, you, 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 you never would die, and you could sin all you want, right? You sin all you want, but you can never have God and you, you can never go to heaven. Would you take that deal, right? A true Christian would say no, right? Because a true Christian wants God. A true Christian's greatest treasure is God Himself, um, and so that's kind of the uh, this 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 test that that God is uh, putting a Moses in Israel uh, through. The uh, uh, verses of seven eleven we see the the penalty for the sin of this golden calf in, in chapter thirty two. Um, there's separation now. Verse seven. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So no longer is God dwelling uh, within their midst. Now he's, uh, he's, 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 he's outside the camp. There's this separation. There's this distance, Right? Uh, instead of the, the priest worshiping, uh, there is a Joshua, just Joshua in verse 11, uh, outside the tent. There's the diminished presence. Um, verse 7. Sought Yahweh, who would go to the tent, which was outside the camp. Uh, verse 7 says, a good distance from the camp. And so, in verse 7, 11, uh, in spite of this uh, penalty, this discipline by God to Israel, there is one benefit because uh, we see that Moses is affirmed, that God meets with Moses, and Moses is given credentials. Remember in chapter 32, when they asked, who is this Moses guy anyway? We don't know him. Uh, God affirms his authority, affirms his leadership. Look at verse 8. It happened when Whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. The people are what? What do you think the people are? Well, why are the people uh, gazing after Moses? Why are they so attentive? As they're, why are they looking? Why are they so attentive? Why are they so? Why is this so important to them? In verse eight, do you think? They're hoping God might change his mind. They're hoping... And there is there is a tension here. That there, there does seem to be hope that God might change his mind. Look at verse 11. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. He's got us separated from his people, but in the way that Yahweh relates to Moses, there's hope that God might return to them. Um, so we get to verses 12 through 23, and verses 1 through 11 
it, it sets up for what happens in, in, in verses 12 through 23. Uh, God is testing Moses. Moses, do you, uh, do you realize what the best part of salvation is? Do you understand that? Uh, God is inviting Moses in verses 1 through 11 to be the mediator. Moses, will you be this mediator that can save my people? He's, God is further, he's, a, he's, he's setting up this foundation of mediatorial reconciliation. Okay, Moses, right, verses 1 through 11, right, which is, this is kind of, this is the summary of verse, verses 1 through 11. Okay, Moses, I'm withdrawing my presence from uh, my people because of their sin. What are you going to do about it now? Moses, do you understand what salvation is all about? How important is the component of my presence among you? Does Moses get it? This is the text. This is the question. And what we see in verses 12 through 23 tell us what? Moses gets it. Moses understands this theology. Look at verse 12 and 13. This is Moses' response to Yahweh's to, to Yahweh's withdrawal. Withdrawal. Uh, this is the response to Yahweh separating from his people. So Moses said to uh, Yahweh, verse 12, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So now I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I might find favor in your sight. See also that this nation is your people. Uh, Moses is, he's, he's, he's saying, if you've, if you've shown me grace, if, if you say that you, you know me, then show your favor to your people, right? Um, what does kind of Moses remind you of in verses 12 and 13? This pleading on behalf of God's people. Okay, uh, not really. Who else pleads with God on behalf of sinners? Jesus, yeah. This has the spirit of Jesus. Uh, Father, if you know me, if you're with me, then look verse 13. We know that this nation is your people too. Moses, not only is, uh, he's not just focused on, on himself, he cares about God's people. This is what a mediator does. And then, this is God's answer. It says in verse 14, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. God says in verse 14, Moses, because you interceded, because you know this theology of a mediator, because you understand that the heart of salvation is knowing me and having a relationship with me, you get it. You understand the best part of being saved is having a relationship with me because of that, I will resume my relationship with you 
and my people. Right? And then he says, what does he say? And I will give you rest. Who else said that? Jesus. Jesus, right? Matthew 11, Matthew 11, 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? This is a, a verbatim quote. Oh, where was rest first found? In the Bible. In Eden. So what does God say? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you to Eden. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to finish this thing. And what was the best part of Eden? What was the best part of Eden? God's presence. God's presence. I will be with you. I will be with you like I was in Eden. You, you, uh, Moses gets it. Uh, Moses un understands. Um, verses 15 and 16, we realize that uh, Moses, however, he wants a, a guarantee. He wants a guarantee. He says to God in verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Indeed, how, how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we and your uh, people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of, of, of upon the face of the earth? So, what does Moses appeal to as he pleads for this guarantee of God's presence? What does he appeal to? Verses 15 and 16. His renown. Yes. His glory, his renown. What else? An agreement they called him. I don't know. Yeah, yeah so uh, it, it, it's an appeal to God's. Uh, uh, God's uh, character, God's renown, but also it's an appeal to the nation's reputation, right? What is Israel's distinctiveness? What is what is is what is Israel supposed to be known for? That God is with them, right? If you don't go with us, is it not by your going with us? So that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? See, if you don't go with us, and we go into the land, and we kill these people, we'll just be like every other nation. Other nations conquer other lands. But no other nation has a God who fights for them, visibly, manifestly. Right? No other nation conquers the history's first world superpower through ten plagues, right? Uh, this is how, uh, this is Israel, so, so Moses says, hey, this is, a, if you don't go with us, your reputation hangs on the line. If you don't go with us, the nation's reputation hangs on the line. Uh, verse 17, 
he says he says this over and over. This is the fifth time he says this. It said, Moses said to, uh, to Yahweh, oh, and one other thing, one other thing that we find in verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, we learn something else about this mediator. We, we, we learn something else uh, by uh, from this mediator. Remember, in chapter 33, God is not saying he's going to punish Israel, right? Uh, he, he's just saying that I'm not going to give you the, my fullest blessing. That's that's the threat. Okay, and so what is Moses as this mediator asking for? He's not asking him to remove punishment for Israel. We establish that in 32, chapter 32. He asked for God to remove punishment, chapter 32. So we learn that about a mediator. The mediator removes our punishment. In chapter 33, we we learn something else about a mediator. That not only does a mediator remove punishment and judgment, a mediator also provides the fullest kind of blessing from God. Right? Jesus doesn't just take away our sin and forgive us. Jesus doesn't just give us the promise of heaven and every spiritual blessing in the universe, in the heavenlies. Jesus gives us God himself. Reconciliation with God. That's what a mediator does. A mediator takes away our punishment, blots out our sin in exchange for his life, and a mediator provides all the goodness that God can give. The mediator pleads on our behalf to receive. Right. So this is what we're learning about this theology of a mediator in chapter 33. Verse 17, I'm going to go to verse 17. He says, uh, for the fifth time in this chapter, for you have, uh, Yahweh said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken, where you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Well, God is granting Moses' appeal based on what? Based on what? Works, good works, or is it because uh, Moses earned this? He deserved this. Why is Yahweh granting Moses his request? His own road. Yeah, favor. You have found favor in my sight. Uh, I have given you grace. Uh, favor is another word for grace. Is another word for grace. You have found mercy in my sight. You found faith. You have found, you found grace in my sight. So uh, Moses' appeal was what? Verse twelve. You said I've known you by name. You have found favor in my sight. Verse 13. So now I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, right? Like if, like for Moses, grace is God's presence. Like that's the ultimate expression of grace, a relationship with God. You, so, so God, based on your grace, we want you. And God says, okay. Because of my grace, verse 17, I will, I will give you a relationship with you. Mm. Verse 17, uh, end of verse 17. I have known you by name. I have known you by name. Uh, I know all of you. You know me by my name. Uh, there's this, uh, full knowledge of one, one, a full knowledge of one another. God doesn't just like us. 
Well, oh, he's a nice guy. Moses, well, you're a nice guy, but I'm going to help you out. No, I have known you by name. Um, we have this relationship based on God's mercy, uh, God's grace, and uh, we know my name because of because of that grace and mercy. And so we see the grace of God and Moses' mediatorial intercession paying off. Uh, yes, God is going to personally come with Israel to the promised land and uh, show this, this clear distinction. Now, verse 18, Moses makes a bold plea. This is a massive favor to ask. Verse 18, Moses said, I pray, show me your glory, right? Um, this is the evidence I want. This is the assurance. This is how uh, you're going to prove that you're going to be with us. You, you, you said you're going to be with us. You promise you're going to be with us. So now, I want God, I want you to prove that promise by showing me your glory. So if God agrees to this request by Moses, what does it show? What does it show? If God agrees to the request of verse 18, what does it show? He's really on Israel's side. It's really for Israel. But he will really be with them. I mean, that's proof, isn't it? The answer to this request in verse 18 is, is, the, is the best evidence. So, what, in other words, if this mediate, mediatorial theology, if it's really true, God, if it's really real, I want to see your essence. And what do we learn here? We learn that if salvation is true for us, then God must be a certain way. He must be a certain kind of God. <coughs> salvation is true for us because of who God is. If we can know who God is, then we can be certain of our salvation. So to doubt and to reject the gospel is to doubt and reject the character of God himself. So, in the next verses, God is going to reveal His name. He's going to He's going to be who He will be. We're getting to the climax of the Book of Exodus. What's What's the book of What's the purpose of Exodus? Right, the revelation of the name of Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Pharaoh said, "Who is Yahweh? Who is this Yahweh God?" Look at verse nineteen. God says, "I myself will make all my goodness pass before you." And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. I will show you what that name means. I will show you what that what my character is like. What is what is what does Yahweh mean? What does Yahweh represent? And what he says right after that, in direct uh, opposition to the name of Yahweh, is look at the second part of verse nineteen. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Who is Yahweh? He's a God of sovereign grace. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, 
I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. He's a God of sovereign election. That's who Yahweh is. And see, Moses, as he writes this, we realize what? Moses was a Calvinist, right? He's, he's saying, here, here, this is God. You got to say, the only nation in the world I'm going to show sovereign grace to is Israel. No other nation will receive grace and will receive compassion. That's what you have to learn about me. It's the first lesson you have to learn about my name. Or not the first lesson, but one more lesson about my name. I'm a God of sovereign grace and choice. I get to choose. So he says uh, in verse 21, Verse 20, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. I'm not going to show you um, the fullest expression of my nature and character. Uh, you're a sinner still. You're, you don't have a glorified body. You die. And he says, uh, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover me with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What are, what is, what are some qualities of, 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 of a back? What, what are some, what, what's like a, you know, some characteristics of your back? If somebody's showing you your back, what are they showing you? Disrespect. Well, in this context, he means... No, God is not saying, I'm going to disrespect you, Moses. Right? So I'm not going to show you my face. I'm going to show you my back. So when somebody shows you your, their back, what, what are they showing you? They're behind it. Behind that person. Okay. Not much. Not much. Not much. <laughs> okay. Not much. But not much is as much as I can show you without you dying. Not much, but it's proof positive that I truly care about my nation Israel. And you'll be convinced when I show you my backside. I'll just give you a little bit. I'll give you a little bit. And that should be more than enough for you to trust me. To believe me and to love me and to obey me. Right? Uh, so need to see more than that. <laughs> so, it applies to us as well. Yeah. Today. We uh, know Jesus came to the world. Well, we, we get to see uh, a little more, right? Because we get to see Christ, right? So, uh, go to 2 Corinthians. No, now, right? Well, not as uh, clearly the uh, what we see now and what we see in heaven, huge, huge disparity, but way more than Moses or Israel saw, right? The first going to the of the end also talks about, uh, about that. Now we 
was in those impurities. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it says, uh, oh, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 13. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 12. So it compares the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, verse 7, if the ministry of death and letters, having been engraved on stones, came with glory, it came with glory, so the sons of Israel could not intently uh, at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, which is being brought to, to an end, how will the ministry of the Spirit not even be more in glory? Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, did the old covenant have glory? Absolutely. Uh, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had been glorious, the old covenant, in this case, compared to new covenant glory, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For that which was brought to an end was with glory. There was glory in the old covenant, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness, and are not like Moses, he used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the consequent was being brought to an end. Their minds were hardened until the very day of the reading of the old covenant. The same veil remains unlifted because it's brought to an end in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So, you see the glory of Christ, but it's in a mirror. Right? There's a mirror. And so, uh, uh, we see, uh, verse 6, Light shall shine out of darkness, the one who shun in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we know Christ, we see this full glory, but verse 18, chapter 3, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Oh, we, we have, uh, so there's some nuance, right? That no veil, glory of the Lord, it's in a mirror. It's in a mirror. So there's much more glory to behold. In the mirror? I mean, the type of mirror that they used was a metal mirror. Yeah, so not, not even blur. So not even a good mirror. It's a blur. Yeah. A blur image. Right. Not even a good mirror. No. Yeah. Not even a good mirror. You have to punish it every time you want to right. use right. it. Right. Exactly. Ancient metal mirror, uh, but still uh, so much more than the, than the glory of Moses. So we have God's indwelling spirit within us as the church, as the new covenant church. We speak to God face to face. And why? Why do we have this relationship with God? Because, like Moses, Jesus spoke up for us. Right? Jesus is our mediator. So chapter 32 and the, the worship of the golden calf is not just a description of Israel. It's a description of who we were before Jesus stood up for us, and he pleaded on our behalf. And I think the New Testament kind of um, equivalent of Exodus 33 is John 17. Go to John 17. 
And this is where Jesus mediates on our behalf. He pleads for us. Verse 17. Jesus, the greater Moses, the Father, the hour has come, 17 verse 1, glorify your Son, so that the so that the Son of so the Son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's pleading on our behalf so that we would we would have God Himself. Right? Um, look at verse 20. I do not ask of, of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Right? Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So Jesus is praying, Lord, give them your presence. Give them my presence. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, right? And they may be perfected in unity. Um, then he says this in verse 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they that so that they may see what my glory, my glory. Jesus is saying, "What? I'm God. I'm God." In the same way Moses asked to see your glory, I'm asking on behalf of the church that they would see my glory, my glory. So the glory that. Moses saw it on Sinai. It's the same glory that we see in the face of Christ. We saw that theology of this mediatorial reconciler first in Exodus chapter 33. And, and, and you know, chapter by chapter, we, we learn that Exodus is what? The foundation of theology. It's the foundation of theology for the Bible. All that we see in the rest of Scripture, we you, you saw it first. All the all the theology of salvation we see in the rest of Scripture, you saw in Exodus first. God laid the groundwork of our salvation in Exodus, um, and uh, it's just it's just setting up for the rest of what is to come in Scripture.